forget that you are a just God and a jealous God. Lord, help us to worship you and only you. That we won't seek our our own pride, selfishness, that we won't seek to glorify that. That we won't turn to sin, but God, that we will worship you and you alone. For you alone are worthy, you alone are holy. So God, thank you that a holy God would send his son, that you would become flesh, take our sin and our wrath, that we might be able to live with you in eternity for the joy that was set before you, you endured the cross. So Jesus, thank you. Help us to remember that it was for your glory that you did that, that you redeemed us so that we could glorify you. God, help us to do that. Help us to glorify you in all that we do. Father, is why it comes to bring the word. I pray that you will give us ears to hear and hearts to understand, that you will speak through your servant. This man who has been seeking you, seeking what to share with your body. God, that you will speak through him. Your spirit will speak through him. That we will learn more about you, that we will learn to love you more, that we will grow in a relationship with you. God, that we can leave this building and be your church. Thank you for this time. Lord, we love you and we praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, Alex. How are y'all this morning? Good, good. Last time I had the opportunity to to be up here, I'll start off in Romans 12, and uh, really just looking at one small phrase out of kind of a longer passage, this list that Paul gives as an exhortation to the church at Rome. And uh, of course, I went through a lot of that list just to get to that one phrase, and, and we kind of went off talking about prayer after that. And I had several people after, it was like, hey, can we, can we go back to that list? I think there's some stuff there that I may need to hear, that maybe we need to hear. So I want us to go, we're going to look at that this morning in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21. That's a lot to cover. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, we're going to read it all because I want you to hear it all. Um, but if we get through verse 13, I'll be happy and probably a little surprised. Um, so let's read Romans 12, 9 through 21. It says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be 
Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's, let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are so thankful to be in your house this morning. You alone are worthy of our praise and adoration. It's a blessing to be able to come into this house, Lord, in fellowship, Lord, being able to, to read your word. Thank you for giving us your word, this insight into your will and your character and your desires for us and, and ultimately for your glory, as Alex mentioned. So this morning, as we, as we look and we dig, God, I pray that we're able to look on this, Lord, with the right perspective and the right motivation of understanding what it is that you're instructing us to do these words. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers our sin, allows us to be here this morning. We ask this in his precious name. Amen. All right. Does anybody do like we do and do the, uh, the online Walmart grocery pickup? Anybody do that? Well, that's an adventure, isn't it? Like you just never know what you're going to get in those that you open, it's like Christmas morning. Oh, this is not what I ordered, but okay. We had a situation a week or so ago, Saturday night a week ago, and it was weird because Daisy, the only time she could pick it up was like 7 o'clock at night. So she gets home, going through groceries, and I hear her go, I didn't order this. I didn't order this. This isn't mine. So by the time we get to the end, there are five bags of groceries that are not ours. As a matter of fact, there's a sticker on the side of it that says M. Jackson. And I felt bad for M. Jackson because we had five bags of their groceries. So at 8 o'clock at night, I'm going back to Walmart to take these groceries back, hoping that they will take them back. And so I pull in the stall, and the, you know, it takes a while for somebody to come to you. And he comes, knocks on the door, okay, what's the name? Well, I don't have an order. I just need to give you these groceries back. Oh, you have a return. Yes. Okay, you got to go inside. Like, no, 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 I just... I just need you to take these groceries. They're, we got home and they weren't ours. Oh, you need a refund. You got to go inside. No, 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 no. These are M. Jackson's groceries. M. Jackson wants you to take them. So when they show up, they will have them. And this, we had this conversation for like five minutes, you know, and I'm thinking, M. Jackson needs their nacho cheese and their refried beans. Their Taco Tuesday is going to be lacking if we don't take these groceries. And Finally, finally, I've, it clicked with this young man to just, he can just take them inside. So why do I tell that stupid story? Well, I was researching this passage and came across a 
uh, a sermon of John MacArthur's where he, he calls this passage a spiritual grocery list. And I thought, well, that's pretty, pretty accurate. But uh, sometimes when I'm teaching, I know that I have a hard time when there's a list. Because I know as human beings, I look sometimes at a list, maybe not in the right light. Okay, sometimes we, have, we look at that list and we think, in, okay, if anybody is that OCD type A person, right? Oh, let me get my pencil out. There's my checklist. Got that? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm really good at that one. Let me check that one off. Okay, I'm not good at that one, but maybe if I, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps, I'm going to be really good and I can get that one checked off. And so then it becomes an exercise in legalism if we're not careful, right? Or if you're like me and you're type B, you look at that list and there was 20 stuff and you go, you know, most of the time I'm pretty good at about 11 of them, so that's pretty good. I'll, I, I bet I'm better than the guy down the street. So that's good enough. I'll take that. I'm comfortable with that. The, the people who are checking them all off, they don't, they don't have a life. They don't have time. I, don't, I couldn't go fishing if I did as much as, as those people do. Or sometimes in the response to that, maybe that first group, they see this list and they go, no, that's, that's works. I can't, I can't, that's legalism if I try to chase after that, if I try to pursue that. And so what we wind up doing in that case is nothing. Let it sit because we don't want to, you know, be doing works. And so we have to, all three of those concepts are in error. And so I've been, you know, Googling how to preach, right? And so they all say, Hold the big point for the end. You know, you like you build up to it, right? And then you then you close with it, and that's that's how you do a good sermon. So I'm gonna do I'm gonna do it backwards and put the big point at the front for perspective. But I'm an amateur, and you get what you pay for. So sorry. So before we start digging into this list, we have to understand number one that these are only present in the life of someone who's been born again right? That wonderful, gracious regeneration from Christ that creates in us a new mind and new desires and new priorities and new love. You know, these characteristics that we're going to look at are gifts from the Holy Spirit. They're not, they're not works, but they're, they're fruit that bears evidence of a life that has been changed. So we have to start with that understanding first when we look at this passage. Romans 12 starts with, in verses 1 and 2, those great verses, right? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, what? As living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So only way this grocery list can be present, again, is when we're made alive in Christ, laying down our selfish nature on the, on the altar and living a life that is not in line with the world, but is in line with what is modeled after Christ himself. And sometimes even as believers, we struggle with that. We struggle with that obedience, right? I had a, a youth pastor who used to say the bad thing about a living sacrifice is it's always crawling off the altar, you know, and we have to continually put ourselves back because our nature works against that. 
This passage, it is Paul's words to the church at Rome, yes. But it's God's word for every believer down through time is just as much for us. And so we shouldn't shy away from his instructions because we confuse them with something that might be works-based or some kind of earned holiness. It's, it's not. We need to be able to separate the sanctification that God is doing in us from the works that come out of that as the evidence of him in our life. Our sanctification is a grace from God and a working of the Holy Spirit. But we also aren't passive in that. We, we have to be obedient alongside and in that working. We have a responsibility to pursue Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit, to live in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called. We wouldn't be given those instructions if he didn't want us to obey them, right? Sanctification doesn't come to us by works, but it's granted to us, again, by the working of the Holy Spirit unto faithful obedience. James talks about faith and a life that is full of faith. What should come out of that? Works, good works, good deeds, right? It's not just sitting there and being full of faith. Paul tells the church, In Ephesus, right after telling them that they were not saved by anything of their own doing, he then turns around and says, but you are God's craftsmanship, created for what? For good works that he's already laid out for you ahead of time. So we shouldn't, again, be scared of these things as if they are sanctification. They are are not. These good works are simply acts of love, obedience, and worship to a holy God who deserves it. And third, this point is, this passage is a point for us to look on the word as that mirror. To lay down our life over the pattern of God's truth and see whatever does not need to be there. To to realistically evaluate our lives against the truth of God's word. James chapter 1 verses 22 through 25 says, Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and goes away, and once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So if we hear God's word today, but we put that in our pocket, and we walk out of here, and it never affects us, James would say, we are deceived. We are deceived in what this Christian life is all about. We're deceived in how we are to mature in Christ. We may very well be deceived in our own understanding of salvation. So again, this big picture to look at before we ever start on the list is making sure, number one, we are, we are saved, we're born again. Number two, that these works are not our sanctification, but the outcome of our sanctification. And number three, that it is here so that we can evaluate our lives. And I pray that we, as we read these words, that our hearts are burdened to bear out these characteristics in our own lives and also in unity as a body of believers. So I'm, I'm three pages in and I haven't got to the list yet. So let's start on verse nine. Romans 12. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. 
So in let love be genuine or let love be without hypocrisy. It's interesting, Paul doesn't really give us a subject for love in that, right? He doesn't tell us what or who we're supposed to be loving in that verse. He just says, love genuinely. Because love that is not genuine is not love at all. Love your neighbor genuinely. Love God genuinely. Love his word genuinely. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ genuinely, earnestly, not just by lip service, but in our actions. We should display that. You could argue, and I, and I probably do, that the most important characteristic for a Christian to display in action is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am what? I am nothing. If I give all that I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is of utmost importance for us as Christians. First Peter chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. He says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincerely, a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Why? Verse 23, since you have been born again. Because we are, because we love because we're born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. John uses the term love one another nine times between his gospels and his epistles. And its origin comes with Christ himself. John 13, 35, we know this verse well, right? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you what? If you love one another. And Paul reminds us to love genuinely. Your version may say, without hypocrisy. And we have a tendency in our pride to make ourselves try to look better than we really are, right? To say, oh, I love, I love, but we We don't ever back that up. Do we have the action that shows people that we love? Jesus always always attacked those religious hypocrites, right? Those who tried to make themselves look better than they were. They tried to show how much they love God. They tried to show how much they love the law. But ultimately, what what did he say? You're you're like whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. That's what hypocrisy gets you. In that same passage in Matthew 23, 23, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness, love, right? These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. These Pharisees wanted to convey how much they loved God and loved the law, and he's telling them, you're completely missing what and who God wanted them to love. James, again, in chapter 2, James points out the sin of partiality in the church. What were they doing? They were, oh, the rich man's coming. Let's sit him up front in the place of honor. And, And the poor member, you put them... 
way in the back, to be ignored, right? That was what James was calling out. That's not love. That's not genuine love that we should be demonstrating. As a matter of fact, it's selfish love because that rich man is, I love him because he's, you know, he's got a fat checkbook and he probably knows people around town and he probably, this, this would be great for our church. It's not genuine love. Interestingly enough, the next passage, he says, love, and then he says, hate. Love, genuinely, abhor what is evil. Why abhor evil? Look at, (laughs) easy to see the destruction that evil causes in the lives of men, in, in our own life. Think about the sin and evil that persists in ourselves, and that doesn't just affect us. It affects all of those around us. We should hate evil in our own lives. We should abhor it. And then the wickedness and evil that's in the world, we should abhor it. Look at the death and the destruction. Oppression, oppression, exploitation, violence, war, debauchery. (laughs) How often do we dismiss the wickedness of the world because it just isn't close enough to us to affect us? We see it on the news and turn the channel. Piper put it this way, if you don't hate evil, you don't love people. Because evil destroys people. If we love people genuinely, we will hate that which destroys both flesh and ultimately spirit. 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 14 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on From what? From bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from whom you have learned it. Which leads us into the next part of that verse. Hold fast to what is good. Abhor evil, hold fast to what is good. So there's really a simple thing there that comes out. In God's eyes, there is objective good And there is objective evil. The world tries to tell us all the time that truth is relative, sin is variable, whatever you want is good, whatever you don't want is evil, and then I get to pick what I think is evil and good, and then we just try to make it the best we can. But God says, no. This is what is good. This is what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. It's not variable. It's not up to the whims of man. So it's vital that we know and understand what is good and hold on to it and don't let go so that we can't be persuaded by what the world is trying to sell us, the things that they say is better for us or the thing that is more tolerable or more inclusive. They're going to they're gonna try to sell you that. No, God says... Clearly, what is good and what is evil is Isaiah 5, 20. Isaiah says, Woe to those who, can call, who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Isaiah was dealing with the same thing 2,500 plus years ago. That man tries to make it what suits man when it comes to evil and good. Let us hold on to what is good. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly 
affection. Literally in the Greek, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. I'm the oldest of three boys. My parents are here today. They can attest that we didn't always interact in a loving way. And I was the biggest up until about the time I graduated. I got out of there probably at a good time. There'd be some retribution coming my way if I hadn't. But even though we didn't always get along, we didn't always see eye to eye, we were family, and we always loved our family. We were devoted as a family. And that's what it's like to be in the family of God. We have one Father. We have one Spirit. We have one baptism, one Savior, right? We are one. We are one in the body of Christ. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 Paul says, we ought to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. So what does he see in that church in Thessalonica? He sees, we see that your faith is growing. And then what else does he point out? Love for one another is growing too. That's no coincidence. As our faith grows, our love for one another grows. 1 John 3.14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. It is the evidence of Christ in us that we love one another. And I love the next part here. Outdo one another in showing honor. Imagine two people practically elbowing each other out of the way to show honor to someone else or to show honor to one another, to be in competition, giving preference or priority to one another in honor, to desire to serve more than you want to be served. Christ is definitely the best example of that. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 8, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility do what? Man, this is a big verse. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Anybody else struggle with that? Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. If you're his, you already have this mind. He's given it to you which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Look at those things that Christ did again. Did not count equality something to be grasped. He, he emptied himself. He took the form of the servant. He he lowered himself below us. When we say that someone is condescending, that's a negative connotation in our life, right? Somebody thinks they're better than you are, and they talk down to you in a, in a manner that belittles you. That's when we say condescending. But when we say God condescended to us, what a great, gracious, glorious thing to say that God condescended to us in that Christ left his place of honor beside the Father. He came down to earth with us, not just with us. Moreover, he came to be a servant. 
and ultimately to be the atonement for his people. He humbled himself to be obedient to death, even though he was perfect. And he took on the sins of the world. So in walking in a manner worthy, we too should place ourselves in humility below others, to to give preference, to empty ourselves. Think, Think for a moment what a church would look like if we were in competition with each other to show each other honor. Think about it. <laughs> I was reminded by the Lord uh, this week. I don't remember when this happened. It was several months ago, maybe even a year ago. Our normal routine when we leave here, Daisy and I drive separately, and she's, the baby has to lay down for a nap, like pretty close. So we get in the car. She goes home. I get in the truck. I go pick up something for lunch. Almost always it's Boo Sackley's because it's the easiest, you know, give me the sack of chicken fingers, give me some fries, get home. And so there was one Sunday we'd left here, and in front of me in that big red and gray suburban was Steve Birch. So we kind of, you know, wave at each other in the line. And uh, he, gets, <laughs> he gets up to the, to the window, and he orders, and he moves up. And I get up to the window, and the little girl in the window says, are you Wyatt? I said, Yes. Said that man in that big truck wanted me to tell you that he loved you. And your lunch is paid for today. <laughs> he showed me honor. It was a sacrifice for him. My, my group likes to eat. It's not cheap to pay for lunch there. But he honored, he showed honor to me. That uh, Ephesians 5:21 says. Right before he talks about wives submitting to your husbands, those in our class, we've looked at this verse a few times. 521 says we should submit to one another. Why? Out of reverence for Christ. So when we, when we show honor to each other, because God, you are precious to him. When I show honor to you, I'm honoring Christ. I'm showing him honor. Verse 11, he says, do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. What does slothful in zeal mean? Your version also say, it may say, don't be lazy or don't, be, don't lag behind. Zeal can translate as diligence or ferventness. Literally, in the Greek, it means haste. So it's like saying, don't be slow to make haste. Don't, don't walk when you should run, or don't sit there when you should run. Be diligent. The Lord is working. We should be quick, excuse me, to be obedient. We, Matthew read all these opportunities for us this morning. ESL, what a great ministry that is. And we, we saw the benefits of that, and a population in this community that gets ignored, quite frankly. But we have an opportunity to minister through that. We talked about lighthouses. <laughs> what is Halloween all about but just darkness, right? But the lighthouse, we get to be a beacon in a neighborhood to say, hey, there's, this is what light looks like in darkness. Reach out to our community. We've got the opportunity to serve over at Spanish Ford and the concession stand to, to serve our community. And, and show God's love to them. We've got, we need people in the nursery almost every Sunday. 
Certainly, we would take more people helping in the foster closet. There are plenty of places to serve. Don't be slow. (laughs) Don't be lazy in zeal. And it doesn't have to be programs. He, He could be leading you just to have that conversation with your neighbor or with your family member or just to serve someone. We shouldn't be slow about it. Don't procrastinate. We tell our children delayed obedience is disobedience, right? Next thing he says, fervent in spirit as opposed to being lazy. Be be fervent. And the Greek there means to boil. So if we think about a pot of water just sitting on the counter, it's not going to do anything. It just sits there, right? But if I put it on the burner and I turn up the heat, that water that wasn't doing anything is now going to be pretty active, right? And the Spirit working in us applies heat. <laughs> he, he puts pressure on us, convicts us, stirs us up to action so that we should be fervent. We should be motivated and energized. Energized to do what? Well, what's the next part of the verse? Serve the Lord. And this whole verse, this whole section really is about action. It's about obedience and service. And this word here has the idea of submitting yourself to someone else as a slave, submitting yourself to the wishes of the master. And so, again, that's easier said than done sometimes in the flesh. But in our spirit, we've, he gives us, as he works and boils us, he gives us a, a spirit to be obedient. Verse 12 Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. When he says rejoice in hope, what hope are we talking about? Why do we rejoice in it? Let's look at Romans 5, verses 1 through 5. There's such great truth to to be rejoicing about here. It says, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. And character produces what? Hope. And hope does not bring us to shame. It does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that one day sin and suffering will be destroyed. One day we will be with him. One day we'll get to take hold of that inheritance that we have to get to be with him in glory. And he will reign in an entirely new way for us. We're told back in our original passage in chapter 12, verse 5, to be patient in tribulation. And here in this passage in chapter 5, he gives us the how. Rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So we can endure in hope. Our hope doesn't put us to shame in those tribulations that we face, but rather the Spirit fills us up with the love of God, that love that helps us to endure those tribulations, love for Him, love for one another, 
Even love for the ones who are persecuting us. I thought immediately of Stephen in Acts, right? When he's about to be stoned. What does he look up to heaven and say? Give them. Give them. He was, he was there trying to share the gospel with them. He wanted them to come to salvation. Let's look at verse 13. <clears throat> Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. <clears throat> I'm going to have to get my water. I forgot to bring it up here. Sorry. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Kind of an interesting verse for a few reasons. The first half is an interaction with those that we're close to, right? Fellow believers, not just in our church, but fellow believers any and everywhere, right? That word contribute has its same root in the Greek word koinonia, which you may be familiar with, meaning fellowship, right? Partnership, to share. So you can see the connection with the word contribute. The idea is to have a generous heart towards brothers and sisters in the faith, that when we see needs, we should be quick and happy to meet those needs as if they're one of us because they are. They are in one spirit. But then we're told to seek to show hospitality. As hospitality, though, this Greek word, philoxenia, meaning a love of strangers. It's the opposite of xenophobia. You've heard that word before, right? Probably in the news, the fear of strangers, the fear of foreigners. This is philoxenia, to love the stranger. So love as we know it as humans, it's often based around relationships, right? Trust. I love you, you love me. I care for you, you care for me. I've gotten to know you, you know, we're vulnerable together, we care for each other, we accept each other, but hospitality is showing that level of love before the relationship has had an opportunity to even begin. It's like saying, I don't, I don't know you, but I'm going to show you love and preference as if you're someone in my family. And sometimes that can be kind of scary, right? It's gonna, you're definitely taking giving the benefit of the doubt to someone. But think about what Paul has already told them in this letter. We're going to go back to chapter 5. We looked at 1 through 5, but now we're going to look at 6 through 11. Verse 6 says, While we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Amen. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we had now received reconciliation. So talk about the ultimate in hospitality, loving a stranger, 
while we were weak and needy, while we were sinners, while we were enemies with him, Christ died for us. He reconciled us to a holy God. So our heart's desire should be to show love and kindness, not just to the people we know and like and are comfortable with, but with the ones who we don't know. Maybe we don't necessarily like or we don't like yet. We don't know them yet. We're not comfortable with them yet. Visitors to our church should be overwhelmed by our hospitality, by us going out of our way again to show honor like we looked at earlier. Why? Is that to, to impress them with our kindness? No. How about because Christ gave the ultimate sacrifice to those who wished him dead, who were his enemies? We love because he first loved us. And that is hospitality. Our time is up this morning. I did get through verse 13. so. But I challenge you to look at this passage this week. Look at what we covered today. Look at on through verse 21. And look with realistic eyes. Look with the help of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that the word truly will be our mirror. Bring to light those places in our lives where we need to be obedient both as individuals and, and as a church body. And I pray that when we see those things revealed, that we immediately go to the Lord in humility and repentance. And then I pray that we rely on the Holy Spirit to give us the power to be obedient. Maybe we need to be more hospitable. Maybe we need to stop being lazy when the Lord is leading us to be active. Maybe you have a brother in Christ who you are struggling with. Whatever it may be, the, the Lord is loving and forgiving and is able to equip you for obedience. And as we mentioned earlier, these, these traits don't come about apart from Christ, not apart from being born again. When we are made new, the Lord takes out that heart of stone, puts in that heart flesh, life, and we're given a new self and a new mind. We're, we're given the Holy Spirit in us to reveal and convict and direct us in the ways that we should go. But without Christ giving us life, we are dead. We're separated from him. We're separated from God. We're separated from his mercy. If you don't have that relationship this morning, Matthew and I will be down at the front. We would love to have the opportunity to talk to you. Also, if you'd like to come join us as members at Faith Family Fellowship, we'll be down here to talk to you as well. Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, God. Lord, I thank you that I don't have to work to gain anything with you couldn't do it. We don't have what it takes. We have flesh that is weak. And even though you've, you've renewed us, I surely would fail. God, as we see in your word, Lord, you equip us, you give us everything that we need to be able to be obedient, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you spurn us on just like the 
spirit in us should bring us to a boil of activity, not just for the sake of activity, but for your glory. And I pray that that's our desire as a people this morning. And Lord, I do pray there are any in this room today, God, that, that they don't know you, that they don't have that relationship. God, that in their hearing of your word this morning, Lord, there is something that moves in them, God, that you are leading them to come to salvation. Lord, we thank you so much for this time in your house today, God. We pray that it be fruitful in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you.